And we'll read two verses this morning, Acts chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 37. That word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your precious word, the way that you have preserved that word and, and made sure that each and every syllable in it has been kept to this day that we can rely on. So we just thank you for that. We thank you for the translators and the, and the many faithful uh, men who, uh, who put the time and effort into actually uh, translating it into our language. And we just uh, pray that our hearts would now be ready to receive that word, that we would be willing to uh, receive it. May, it. may the seed that's planted in our hearts this morning grow deep roots, Father, in our lives, that they would, it would bear fruit in our lives that would give you the glory. We commit this time to you. We pray for the working of the Holy Spirit in this place. And we pray that the name of our Saviour would once again be lifted up. We pray this in his name. Amen. Twelve weeks. Twelve. Twelve and two. We've been looking at Satan. This is the last, the final, the wrap-up sermon for this whole series. And I hope that uh, it's been a blessing to you as much as it's been to me. Um, uh, I must freely admit that uh, some of these weeks, um, especially when I first started the series, I, I, it seemed as if I was under a fair bit of attack, to be honest with you. Um, it, they came a lot more difficult than they would normally come. But God has, once again, continued to give grace and, uh, and shed his light upon his word. And I pray that what we have learned over the last 11 weeks, including this one over here, would lay some foundation in our lives that we would take up the fight, that we would be ready always and be vigilant because the reason that we did this series, the reason that I decided to actually do a series on Satan was scriptures tell us to be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So he is still roaming about, as he was 2,000 years ago. He is still seeking whom he may devour. And the Bible tells us to resist him steadfast in the faith. Now remember what I told you? When the Bible says the faith, it means that you understand the doctrine. That you understand what the Bible teaches about what, it's what you believe. When the Bible talks about faith, it means the faith or the trust that you have in Jesus Christ, your Saviour, and in his word. So in this one, it tells us that we need to understand his word in order to resist the devil. And that's the foundation of our lives. The word of God is the foundation. So without the word of God, it's very difficult to resist where, you, where your, your feet are on, on shifting sand. Okay. So my desire has been over these last few months to give you a good foundation from the Word of God and understanding who our adversary is, where he came from, 
how he started corrupting mankind, what his goals and his schemes are, and also to encourage us to remain vigilant, to be always on the alert, to see where he's working and learn how to resist the schemes and the attacks that he has for each and every one of us. None of us are immune to his attacks. None of us are in a position where we can say, the devil doesn't touch me. In fact, if you're a Christian here today, if you are born again, then there's one thing I will guarantee you, that he will attack you. And he will attack you because he doesn't need to attack. He doesn't need to spend a lot of time on people that aren't saved because they're already lost. But the ones that are saved, the ones who carry the truth of God within them, and the ones who are living by the word of God and by the spirit of God, these are the ones that are a threat to him. So these are the ones that he takes special notice of and seeks to destroy him. So this morning, my um, desire is that we wrap up this series. I'm going to recap what we've learned over the last 11 sermons. I'm going to do that fairly quickly. Uh, and then wrap up with a couple more points. But my, the reason I chose this particular passage this morning... And if you look at verse 38 again, it was God that anointed Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So my desire for you this morning is that even though we have focused on this, our enemy first, you need to understand that Jesus Christ, when he walked the earth, healed all who were oppressed of the devil. And he can do the same today if you are experiencing the same thing. Jesus' desire is still to do good and to heal all that are under the bondage of Satan or who are oppressed of the devil. Okay? The focus always needs to turn back to Christ because there is something that the Scriptures teach us which is very, very evident. Even though the Bible says we are in a war, that there is a battle day by day that we must be prepared for, we must have our armour on for, the Bible says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Okay, The devil's in the world, and the devil uses the world. But greater is he that is in you. If you are born again this morning, you need to confirm it in your own minds and hearts that Jesus is stronger and greater than the devil. And there is the Bible teaches us also that there is no weapon formed against you that shall prosper, according to the word of God. There is no weapon that he can bring against you that can bring you down. Just remember, God has given you everything you need to live holy lives to him. And if we don't live holy lives, it's because we have laid down our arms and we have not utilised what he's given us. So my encouragement to you is to utilise what, what God has given us in order to take up this battle. Let me recap these past sermons. We looked at Satan's original position. Satan was not created, believe it or not, with a red suit and horns and a pitchfork. He didn't have those. And he still hasn't got those, believe it or not. Okay, But he was created a holy cherub. A cherub created to worship God and to cover, and his job was to protect. His name was Lucifer, not Satan. Satan is a specific name given to him because of who he is. He's the accuser. Okay? I also surmise using scripture, especially the passages in Ezekiel and Isaiah, that Satan's original position was probably 
if he was guarding and protecting, and we find him in the Garden of Eden, walking around the Garden of Eden, and also going up to heaven, that he was possibly, probably, the first guardian angel. And his job was to protect our first parents. Unfortunately, Satan looked at himself, the Bible says. He looked at the fact that he was created with such power and such beauty and intelligence that he became lifted up in his heart. He, he became so enamored with himself, so full of himself, that you'd use the common vernacular, okay, that he desired the throne of God. He desired to be in God's position. And instead of protecting these two beings, instead of protecting Adam and Eve, our first parents, the Bible says that he chose to gain power over them. Now, why would he do that? The Bible says that Adam and Eve were given dominion of this world. So Satan not only sought to, to destroy them and make them his own servants, but he sought to take the ownership of this world to himself. And he did that very thing. Through, through lies and deceit, he caused Eve and then Adam to fall. And that's where we find the fall of man, wrapped up, intermingled with the political desires and coveting of an angel that God created. Satan promised Adam and Eve equality with God himself, just as he wanted. He promised them the same thing, and he still promises the same thing today. We found out during the series that, God, that Satan continues to use the same lines over and over again. And you know why he does that? Because they work. He found out they worked, and he finds out, and he still knows that they work. So he continues to use the same lies. So Satan managed to usurp the dominion of this world, which had been given to Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that he then became the God of this world. Actually, the scriptures call him the God of this world. And man became, throughout the ages, a slave to him. That's why Jesus had to come to the earth to free us from that slavery. Satan also, we found out, convinced many of the angels of heaven. So this, 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 this being was not only beautiful, powerful, intelligent, but he was a very good communicator. He knew how to sell a message. And he sold it well enough to convince a third of the angels of heaven to rebel against God himself. The Bible says that rebellion failed. And, and most, if not all, of those angels find themselves on this earth at the moment. Some of them have been locked up in a prison under the earth. They've been locked up in hell, waiting for a judgment. The Bible says that the majority of them have been placed around the earth at the moment. They've made earth their home. Some of them may still have access to heaven. We know that the devil still has access to heaven. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He can, travel, he can still travel up to heaven, accuse us, and come straight back down again. The Bible tells us also that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers enthroned in high places, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness. You see, where we see governments and things in this world, and you see the structures that, take, that, that we have as, as human beings, Satan has the same structures all around the world. The promises that he made to the angels 
that fell with him were to grant them dominion as well. So we see Satan has a kingdom. And Jesus says that Satan is a king. And he has a kingdom. And that kingdom includes demonic princes and dominions. And we've seen the influence of that kingdom upon the kingdom of men throughout history. And in the scriptures. And in many places, in some places in the scriptures, especially in places like Daniel chapter 10, we see overtly that type of um, resistance that they give to God. For those of you who don't know that particular story, the angel Gabriel had been sent by God to deliver a message to Daniel that he wanted him to know. But the Bible says that the prince of Persia resisted Gabriel for 21 days. And it wasn't until Michael the archangel came to assist him did he actually break through with that message. Now that tells me something very clearly. That the prince of Persia was not a man. It tells me the prince of Persia was a demonic being, was a devil. And that devil resisted God's purposes and resisted Gabriel from delivering that message. So there is a warfare that occurs. The Bible says that we are in the middle of a war and tells us to take up our armour, but it says that in the background what's happening is there's a continual war going on behind us, an invisible war that we can't see, but nonetheless we are part of. So Satan's dark kingdom is still in operation around the world today. It seeks to maintain its dominance over the world's people, although Jesus has won that victory on the cross. Jesus has not come yet with his second coming to get rid of this, this plague that we have. Satan continues to use men's pride against them by offering them lies, that the same lies that he offered Adam and Eve and the angels of heaven. God judged Satan's temptation on man. I don't know if you remember that one over there. So when God judged Adam and Eve and Satan, I focused on God's specific judgment on the serpent. And he promised to judge the serpent by sending the seed of woman who would come and crush his head and he would bite his heel. He said that there would be continual enmity between the woman and her seed and the serpent and his seed. We discovered that that seed specifically spoken about was Jesus Christ, who was a seed of a woman. Okay, Jesus did not have an earthly father, but Jesus had a mother. So he was the seed of a woman. But then we looked at that, at that specific prophecy and we looked at that woman and who she might be throughout Scripture. Was it Eve? Was it Mary? Was it Sarah? Was it someone else? And we, we noticed throughout Scripture that this woman was really the descendants starting from Eve all the way down to Mary, who were the lineage through which our Saviour would be born. They would be in constant conflict with the devil and the devil would be constantly finding ways to destroy that line. There had to be, one after the other, faithful men and women who'd continue a line until it got to the Saviour. That's, that's why we have a flood story in the Bible. Because Satan almost managed to destroy every line 
and corrupt every line in the world. The Bible says the world is full of violence and corrupt in its ways. And God, to protect that family, destroyed a whole world. So that woman spoken of figuratively in the Bible starts with Eve, goes through Seth, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then over 4,000 years and 75 generations, it finishes with Mary, who was a direct line. That's why we have genealogies in Matthew and Luke. That's why they're important to God. God was working all that time. And Satan, despite his best efforts, could not destroy these lines. And Jesus was born into the world, that promise that was made. One thing I wanted you to learn from that specific message was that God always keeps his promises. Regardless of when you read something in the Bible, how strange it may seem, regardless of, of how, how impossible it may look to you, that God can keep or that God will keep specific promises in the Old Testament. I'll tell you something now. If you read a promise in the Old Testament that hasn't been kept, it will be kept. God always keeps his promises perfectly. There is not one promise that will not be fulfilled to the last dot. We saw Jesus fulfilling many promises of God in this one individual. In fact, we look at, if you look at the Bible... The whole thing is about Jesus. The whole book, from beginning to end, is about the Son of God, who was God had already prepared before the foundation of the world to come and rescue men and women. God always keeps his promises. After this, we focused on how Jesus would defeat the devil. And we saw this, that, that he would defeat the devil by living the only perfect life in history. And the devil, despite his best efforts to get Jesus to sin... Remember, the, the, it started off with 40 days and 40 nights in a wilderness where he tried to break him down. He couldn't do it. In fact, his whole life, Jesus did not break a commandment, did not break fellowship with his father once, did not do something even to the minutest point where he failed. Jesus was the only perfect, in, the perfect person in history. And we found out that... He would give his life for the sins of the world. He would shed that blood, which we now rely on, to cleanse us from every sin and stain. And we asked the question, when he died on that cross, and when he was in a tomb for three days, where was he? Remember we asked that question? Because he said to the, the, the thief next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And we looked at that and we thought, well, how do these things match up? when all the other scriptures say that he actually descended to the lower parts of the earth. And we looked at that and we understood through scripture that Jesus descended to the lower parts of the earth and preached while he was down there for three days and three nights. He preached not only to the, the, um, the devils that were bound in hell, telling them, despite your best efforts, you failed and I've arrived. But he also shared that gospel with the Old Testament saints and said, I've arrived. The one you've been waiting for all these years, the one you put your faith in, even though you didn't know my name, even though you didn't, you didn't see me, I'm here for you now. So Jesus preached three days down in the lower parts of the earth. 
And we saw how the scriptures clearly taught that specific, that specific doctrine, that while he lay in a tomb, he was in hell and in a place called paradise. And neither hell nor any, anything could actually hold Jesus forever because he was a son of God and he was perfect in all of his ways. So hell could not hold him. So the scripture says that they shall not allow thy holy one to, to, to see corruption or to be left in hell. He couldn't be left in hell because the doors couldn't hold him. We, we then saw the difference between the resurrection and the ascension. Do you remember those, the, the difference between those two things? Jesus, when Jesus was resurrected, he rose up from the grave, right? And he rose up from, from hell and he, he inhabited the same body, okay, that he, was, that, he, that he died with on the cross. And we know that because he still had the same holes in his hands and his feet and his side. Okay? So he, we, God resurrected him with that same body. And the Bible says that after some time, and the Apostle Peter says in that passage that we, that we read this morning, if you read it a bit before or a bit after, it says that we ate with him. After he was resurrected, we ate with him and drank with him. So Jesus spent time with his disciples. But then there was a specific time when he was standing on the Mount of Olives and he had his disciples all around him. And the Bible says that he ascended into heaven. Okay, That's when he left the earth to take up his throne in heaven. The Bible says that he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Okay, so when Jesus came, he defeated the devil. He, he never sinned. He conquered hell. He won back the title deed of the planet, which Satan had stolen from our original parents. Jesus then became the rightful ruler of this world. He has the title deed. But the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus won heaven for us as well. You see, Satan's desire was with his cohorts and, uh, and um, minions. He wanted to win dominion of the world and also dominion of heaven. Now, we were created for the earth originally. The Bible says that we are created for the earth. We were created from earth for the earth. But you know the beautiful thing is? Is that in Satan's attempt to try to win heaven and earth uh, and Jesus coming to the earth, the Bible says that God connected himself to us in an incredible way. Not only did he win back the meaning of the world for us, and it's Jesus who holds that title now, but the Bible says that he won heaven for us as well. So that so every believer now who dies, the Bible says, looks forward to being in heaven with Jesus Christ. Because God won heaven for us as well as the earth. God made us inheritors, not only of the earth, but of heaven itself and of his own nature. There is a marriage that will take place, a consummation of something that God's done already by connecting himself to mankind forever. When Jesus Christ rose from that grave, he could have decided, he, he could have left the human body on the side and not been a man. 
anymore. He could have gone back to simply being the Son of God. But the Bible says he chose to keep that body and forever remain married to mankind. That's why the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is a man in heaven with the same wounds and the same, the same wounds on his hands, his feet and his side. And that's how we'll recognise him when he returns. We'll recognise the scars because he chose to keep those two. We then saw how Jesus frees people from the penalty of their sin and bondage to Satan. But he's also able to free. So we know he cleanses us of all of our sins, adopts us into his family as his children. But the Bible also says that he actually frees us from the power of sin in our lives too. Not just the penalty of sin, which is hell. He didn't just save us from hell, but he saved us from the oppression of the devil and he saved us from the power of sin in our lives. So if you have Jesus Christ in your life, you have the ability to overcome sin. And God's expectation for us is that we live victorious lives over the devil. That victory is gained over the devil. As a child of God, you are now no longer a citizen of Satan's kingdom or the kingdom of this world. But as the scriptures teach, you have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You have been adopted into the heavenly family of God. You have been given a completely new nature. All the old has gone away and God has made us new creatures in him. We are therefore on this earth while we are here in our lives, heaven's ambassadors. We no longer belong to this place. But as Abraham found out, he was simply a pilgrim passing through. God has called us to, be, to live as heaven's citizens in this world, as heaven's ambassadors. We are on loan to this world, you and I. And we have a responsibility to represent our king and to allow him to work in our lives and through us in order to rescue more people. You and I have been called to be witnesses and to bear witness that Jesus lives. And if we don't live the life that God has called us to live, they can't see Jesus alive. We then looked at how we can have victory over the devil by understanding our own weaknesses and our enemies. We saw that our prim we have three primary enemies that are against us in this world. Those three enemies are the world, as the Bible describes it, it includes our flesh, which has not been redeemed, but we carry around with us. And finally, it includes Satan and his kingdom, the invisible realm which keeps the world under bondage. We saw that the Lord clearly expects his children to have victory over these three, but also that we have three vulnerabilities, three avenues of attack where the devil continually finds sources to break into our lives. Those three are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we saw that Satan continually focuses on those three things. We saw how he did it with Eve, and he won. And then we saw how he tried to break through those three things of Jesus, and he failed. But he continues to aim at those specific areas in our lives. They are our vulnerabilities. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
We saw that the devil's attacks on us can be defeated by faith in God and his word. And all attacks are an opportunity for us also to grow. So Peter tells us the refining of our faith is like refining pure gold. If you are under the attack of Satan, rejoice. Because once you go through that trial, you will be stronger by the end of it. We also saw that genuine faith is always accompanied by action and works. Faith is never alone and by itself. It isn't just a thought or a feeling. Faith is always accompanied by work and works. Putting what you know into action is the way to victory over Satan. Knowing the word of God is the foundation, but actioning the word of God. Putting the word of God to work is the key to winning. The goal of every believer is to stand firmly upon the word of God, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and to step out in faith. In Sermon 10, we saw that Satan is the master counterfeiter. Remember that one? He not only duplicates Christianity, and the reason we see multiplicities of churches and doctrines in the world today is because he also has his own churches and doctrines set up. He counterfeits Christianity. He has counterfeited the gospel with his own gospel. He counterfeits teachers, preachers, missionaries, and everything else that looks like Christianity. He will counterfeit he has his own doctrine and he has his own gospel. He also seeks to infiltrate the church and destroy the church. So while he's presenting the world with multiple options when it comes to Christianity, he also seeks to destroy the genuine or the true church of God by infiltrating it with false teachers, preachers and congregation members. In the last sermon, we looked at putting on the whole armour of God and how important it was for us to, to put on the whole armour, not just part of it. We looked at each piece and how it functions and how important it is for us to be fully prepared for the battle that we are in. And if we don't learn to fight the fight, we are putting not just ourselves at risk, but we're putting the people that we love around us at risk as well. So that's a wrap-up of 11 sermons. Okay, I hope you got all that. And we looked at a few of the, some, of the, some of the subtle strategies that Satan uses. I want to, I want to recap some of the strategies that, that he, that he uh, uses. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. And saith unto him, this is Satan speaking, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. The first thing we need to understand about Satan is that he knows Scripture. He knows how to use it and misuse it. When he, when he tempted Jesus, he twisted scripture to try to put him off. 
Jesus responded with scripture to clarify scripture. Okay? But the first thing you need to understand is the devil can also try to trick us with scripture. Okay? So false doctrine. The devil won't come to you generally if you know the word of God. He won't come to you with an exact opposite doctrine. So if the Bible says thou shalt not kill, he's not going to come to you and say thou shalt kill. The Bible says thou shalt kill. He doesn't say that. He'll put some thought behind it with an exception. Or he'll put some, some circumstance. He'll raise a question in your mind. The way he works is to use scripture against us. He knows his scripture. This is not like um, the movies that you see where you hold up a cross against a, um, against a vampire and the vampire shrieks. Okay, He is not scared of the word of God like that. You don't hold up the Bible and the devil runs away. It doesn't work like that. Okay, He knows enough of the word of God to be able to use it and manipulate it for his own purposes. The next thing, turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 15. Mark chapter 4, verse 15. And these are they by the wayside where the word was sown. But when they have heard... Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the Satan not only knows the word, but when it comes to the gospel especially, and words that will affect a person and change their life, the thing he tries to do is take that word away. Okay? So the devil will do that. How? We look at by distraction, by entertainment, by... Diverting your attention to something else. And we looked at the, the ways that normally happens, and it happens in church, okay? So, church is when the gospel's being preached or when the word of God is being preached, he will try to divert your attention away from hearing the word of God and actually listening to it. He will throw thoughts in your minds that will keep your brain turning around and around and around so you can't focus on the word and action it. Same thing as when you're home. You're trying to read the Word of God. We looked at how difficult it is sometimes to be able to read the Word of God without automatically falling into a stupor and falling asleep. Ever wondered why that is? The devil will try to keep you distracted from the Word of God and if, you, if he knows you're reading something that will affect you, he's going to try every way he can to distract you. 1 Timothy, chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. This is speaking about appointing a pastor. The specific passage. And it says, do not appoint a novice. Okay? That's someone who's new. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. The devil uses our pride against us. The devil will always be looking to stoke pride within you. Because if he can stoke up pride within you, then he's got you where he wants you. If he can get you focused on yourself 
and what you deserve and how, how, much, how good you actually are and start comparing yourself to everyone else in the church and around the place. He's got you where he wants you because he fell through pride and he knows how it works. So if he can get you proud, if he can, get, if he can just stir up that pride a little bit within you, by getting people to let you down and getting people to, to mess you around and, and you look at your life and you say, look at all the stuff that I'm doing. Why aren't they like me? He's got you where he wants you. So Satan will continually try to provoke, stoke and get anything for you to be lifted up in your pride because that's how he fell. Okay? There is nothing that, to be proud of. Okay, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. John gives us a warning here. Don't be too firmly attached to this place and the things that it loves. Don't be firmly attached. If you're going to be in this world, hold on very loosely to any, everything. Okay? The devil wants nothing more than to get you proud and to get you locked in to the, the loves and the desires of this world, which will eventually lead you into evil desires. The devil uses the flesh, the eyes and pride against us. They're the, they're the three avenues that he attacks us, but he uses the world to actually do it. <coughs> Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. I'm just giving you a list of things, of some of the strategies that he uses. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now, the Apostle Paul was given so much revelation. Many of the things that Paul wrote in his letters to us were revelations directly from Jesus Christ to him. He learned them straight from Jesus. Okay, He didn't read, have to read someone else's uh, letters or Gospels. He got them straight from the Lord. So the Bible says here, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You know what he was saying? Lest he becomes proud. Lest he go around saying, oh, I've got, so, got these revelations straight from God. Okay? I'm so much better than you. God actually allowed the devil to buffet him with one of his messengers. So Satan can buffet and attack us physically in this world. He is able to afflict the body of believers and non-believers. For the believer, he has to have God's permission. For the non-believers, 
He's got it already. He's got them. Okay? So when you go through difficult, difficult times in your life, yes, it may be the devil directly attacking you. Remember, though, in every circumstance we find ourselves, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Okay? So remember that if you're going through a difficult circumstance in your life, God's allowing it for a purpose. God does not allow us to go through trials and tribulations for nothing. So the first foundational thing you need to believe is that God hasn't stopped loving you. The second thing you need to believe is that God is still in control. He is allowing this thing to, to happen. And it could be sickness. It could be other suffering that you're going through. You might lose your job, your house. It could be whatever. Okay. If God allows you to go through something, there's a good opportunity that he wants to draw closer to you. And he wants you to draw closer to him. He wants you to strengthen and grow through this particular situation. Or there's someone else who needs to hear that message in the midst of your suffering. Do you understand? Sometimes God allows his children to go through suffering so that when we get through it, the next person that comes through that door, I'm able to encourage is going through the same thing. Do you see how God works? He's always working for the benefit of his children. Okay? So he allows sometimes the devil, if he did this to the Apostle Paul, he may allow it for you and me. Okay? So if you're going through difficult circumstances in your life, don't start shaking the fist at God. Don't start blaming him. Don't start. The devil has asked for permission for that. And God has allowed it for a reason because God knows the end from the beginning. Okay? You and I might be stuck in the middle of a, what seems to be a nightmare, but you know something? That's a perfect opportunity. A wonderful opportunity to get closer to him and learn of what he's like. Okay? And finally, just uh, on this last point, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. This links in closely to the previous uh, verse, but it adds a bit to it as well. Satan is in constant warfare with us. Okay, he, We don't see it at the moment, but we have angels who protect us at all times. Okay, Now, the Bible says that Satan tries to hinder the work of God. He did it with Gabriel, okay, the, the, the angel that God sent to our thing, and he still tries to do it today. Okay, Now, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, this is the Apostle Paul saying, um, Wherefore we would have come unto you. He, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, once and again, more than once. But Satan hindered us. Can Satan stop you from, from going? To, yes. He stopped the Apostle Paul. Paul wanted to go, to go and see them. His desire was to do it. But for some reason, Satan hindered. But, but... Once again, God is still in control. God always knows the end from the beginning. And he knows exactly what's going on in the meantime. So don't get discouraged. If you want to do something for God and it doesn't seem to be panning out the way you expect, be patient. God's got it all mapped out. He's got it worked out. Okay. The devil, as hard as he tries to stop things from happening, can't win. He can't. So these are some of the subtle strategies that we that we actually spoke about 
over the course of these last few, uh, few weeks. I want to share a couple more with you today, okay? Um, the other areas that Satan will seek to corrupt you, okay, is your emotions. One of our weaknesses, and this is linked to the flesh, okay, is that he uses our emotions against us. And oftentimes as people, we believe our emotions more than we believe the actual truth. If our emotions are telling us something, we, we almost treat them as if like they are gospel truth and everything else is to be put to the side. So if I'm feeling upset about something, then that person must have done something wrong, correct? If I'm offended, he must have been the one who's to blame. If something's gone wrong and I'm feeling down, there's got to be someone else to blame for that as well, right? So your emotions will take you on a journey if you allow them to. But the Bible says that we aren't to be controlled by our emotions. We aren't beings that are just that are driven around by every whim and every feeling that we have. Our feelings, I'm sorry to say, are very bad indicators of what reality actually is. Being a pastor for 10 years and having dealt with people and their issues and their problems and seeing the emotions that well up within people, I can guarantee you 99% of the time that the emotions you're feeling, 99% of the time, aren't actually valid. Oh, you'll have the emotion. The emotion will be there. Are you justified to have the emotion? Not according to God's word most of the time. Most of the time, people will persist with their emotions and they can't control it. They'll allow their emotions to, to build and build and build and build and they won't put a circuit breaker in there and cut the silly thing and listen to what the Word of God says because it's taken them too much in a ride. The momentum is too fast now. I can't stop this train. The devil will use your anger against you. I'm going to give you an example of that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Now, most of you have read this, right? Most of you know this particular passage. How many of us actually keep this particular uh, teaching? How many of us actually follow this teaching? The Bible says, be angry. Oh, it actually says, be angry. You can be angry if you want. And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. All right, so what's the saying? It's saying that someone can offend you and you can get angry. But it's a sin not. Alright, so if someone threatens me, does something bad to me or my family or whatever else it may be, okay, it's natural to get angry. Correct? It's natural to, to, to have some sort of indignation. Okay? Or if someone says something bad to someone else that I love or someone's trying to destroy the church, I'll get angry. But the Bible says don't sin. And don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Mm. So, what it's saying here is, if I can't resolve the situation in that day, if I've gotten upset about something, it says that I'm not allowed to stay ups I'm not allowed to stay angry with that person overnight. That I have to be able to cut it and stop the wrath within me. Instead, 
what I'm meant to be doing is actually praying for that person. So if you're in a situation where someone's, someone's done something bad to you, the Bible says you should not let it persist in your life. Wrath is a lot stronger than just angry. Okay? Wrath means you want revenge on that person. Wrath means you want to get even. You've got something to tell them, you're going to put them in their place. Okay? Anger can just be without all that stuff. But wrath means you want vengeance. You want to get even. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on that wrath. Don't let the sun go down before you sort that thing out. Now you might say, oh, how do I do that? Guess what? You can. The Bible simply says you can. You can actually choose not to be wrathful, not to be angry. It says that we as a children of God have the ability to be able to respond according to God's word, not according to our feelings. Guess what? You can control your feelings. How many of you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that? <laughs> Some of you are giving me a bit of a, a strange look. You're, you're thinking to yourself, how do I control these feelings? Because I feel like I can't control them sometimes. This word of God says you can control your feelings. You can actually put your feelings in their proper place. As a children of God, you have the ability to respond and not just react. There's a difference between responding and reacting. Okay? This verse is, n is about not letting your emotions get the better of you and, and allowing the devil to get a foothold in your life because that's how he does it. He uses your emotions to get a foothold in your life and what he will do is continually remind you and poke how that person did this to you. That person did this to you. Don't forget what they did to you. Don't forget how they... That, how they did this to you and said this to you and, 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 and all this other stuff that goes on, he'll continually poke and poke and poke until he doesn't need to poke anymore. You've got, you've got like those little, those little mice that, that walk, that run on that wheel, that you'll be running on that wheel yourself. He won't have to poke anymore. You'll run on that wheel merrily, merrily along your way, always provoked by something in your mind. This verse is about not letting your emotions get the better of you and allowing the devil to fill your heart with bitterness because the next part of that is to become bitter as a person. There's an important lesson here. People will always find a way to offend you. Do you believe that? doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter how wonderful and nice you think that person is, whether it's me, whether it's... I'm not saying I'm nice either. Whether it's anyone else in your family, outside of your family... They will find a way to offend you. They will find a way to let you down. They will find a way to hurt you, especially in the same family. People have a knack of letting each other down. People have a knack of not doing the right thing. People have a knack of offending each other, especially when they don't even want to. But we do. The question is how we deal with it. If you're spending your time making lists 
of the times that people let you down and offended you and hurt you, you know what you're going to be spending most of your time doing? Keeping track of all of it. And bitterness will take root in your life. It will consume your time, your energy. It will fill your head and your heart and it will take over your life. The devil is more than pleased with you keeping lists of offences with everyone. Simple rule of thumb to follow. If it can't be rectified quickly, if you can't get together with this person who's offended you and talk through the situation, then choose to forgive him. Just choose to forgive him. And then, once you've forgiven him, then go and talk with them about the situation. And I'll tell you what, what advantage that has. If you've already forgiven the person, you're not, going to go, you're not going to go and talk with that person seeking revenge and wrath and everything else, are you? You've already forgiven them. So if you forgive them first, when you go and approach them later on and say, look, this is, what's, this is what happened, I just want to have a bit of a chat with you about that, you are not going to come down on them like a ton of bricks, are you? You're not going to be looking at getting even because you're leaving that with God. So if someone offends you, if someone does something bad toward you, forgive them first. Forgive them first and then choose to follow them up later. Do you understand? Don't follow them up straight away in the heat of your... Remember that people, you know, that people say you know, if you get angry, if someone offends you, if something goes wrong, count to ten, right? Count to ten and then start to cool down, right? The last thing you want to do is, is, is approach someone when you're all fired up. But when you've already forgiven them, you can't attack that person then. But you have the best possible chance of speaking to them in a way that they'll actually understand. Do you understand? And you'll be more likely to listen to what they say. They may have done it totally innocently. They may have absolutely no idea what they've done. But if you've already forgiven them, you're probably more likely to listen to what they're saying and say, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Oh, don't worry about it. Do you understand? Okay. That's why, that's why James says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Be slow to speak, but quick to hear. In other words, spend time hearing them. Hebrews also tells us, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and therefore, thereby many be defiled. Bitterness, once it takes hold in your life, spreads to other people as well. Because you're more than likely, you can't keep it in. I did some weeding in my, back, my backyard the other day. Um, I let it go for too long, I must confess. For those of you who know my... my um, my skills in the garden aren't, they need plenty of prayer and support, okay? Um, I've got a raised garden bed, for those of you who've seen my, um, my backyard, and it's, it's a work in progress. Um, and I allowed the weeds in it to grow too much. So I had to spend hours and hours and hours ripping out weeds, and then I eventually decided I'm going to play the smart, I'm going to put a weed mat down and then put extra mulch on top so these things don't grow again. But... I'd taken out so many weeds, my bin was overflowing. I couldn't keep, I couldn't keep it, I couldn't keep the thing down. Okay? That's what happens with weeds in our lives, with bitterness. 
if you allow it to grow and the roots to grow, the weeds are going to get bigger and they'll spread and they'll spread into other areas of your life. And they won't just spread into other areas of your life, they will spread to other people because you can't keep the lid down by yourself. They'll come popping out. So it'll affect other people around you as well. So don't let bitterness enter into your heart and into your life. Okay? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. The Bible tells us very clearly. If there is hatred within you towards a brother, don't think that you're even saved. Don't go parading around as if, you, as if you're all good with the Lord, because you ain't. Hatred is an indication that you don't have eternal life. There's something dramatically and drastically wrong with you. Don't give place to the devil, because anger will turn to bitterness. Bitterness will turn to hatred. And hatred is not a place, good place to be. Hatred will take a long time to get rid of. Okay? So the devil tries to use our emotions against us. The other thing the devil will try to destroy in your life is authority. I'm just going to read some verses to you. The devil hates authority. The devil absolutely hates when we submit ourselves to authority. And God loves authority. In fact, God's got structures in heaven. Okay? He's got different, different um, groups of angels doing different things. And God loves authority. Turn me to Jude chapter 1. Just to, just to begin this thing. And I'm just going to read the rest of these things out because we're running out of time. But Jude chapter 1 verse 8. I'm going to show you an interesting passage that you may not have read before. But which, which teaches us something very important. Jude chapter 1 verse 8. Jude says, Likewise... Also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. That's people with authority. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Just durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things that corrupt themselves. That makes sense to you? Michael the archangel was contending for the body of Moses with the devil. The devil came along and said, when Moses died, I want the body. So there we have a situation where Michael the archangel is disputing on, on, in, a, in a law, in a court of law before God. Um, with the devil, and the devil says, I want that body. I want, I want the rights to it. And, and Michael, the archangel, is saying, no, no, that's not right. And they're disputing, all right? At any time, Michael, the archangel, says he could have bring against him a railing accusation. He could have said, but you're 
so-and-so. Why should we do this for you? He could have a railing accusation means something that's actually brought against someone with, um, with um, vengeance and hatred. Do you understand? So it's talking to someone with, with putting them down. And Michael could have done that because Satan's got a lot of things you can actually accuse him of. But he didn't. The Bible says that, that Michael didn't actually held himself back and said, the Lord rebuke you for what you're saying. God loves authority so much, right? God loves authority and structure so much that Michael the archangel understood that even though Satan was an enemy, that even Satan expected, right, that God still expected him not to accuse him and use reproachful and insolent language against him. Even Satan, because Satan himself is a king of his own kingdom, the argument here is that even though Satan was an enemy of Michael and an adversary, he still had to speak in a manner befitting a king. An enemy king, but still a king in his own right. Our culture, on the other hand, speaks with the reverence of all kings, of all leaders. We have very little respect for those who have been put in authority over us. Our culture is one of insolence, is one of, of degradation with respect to um, leadership and authority. It happens too often in the church and it happens often in the home. Let me show you, let me, let me read some scripture verses out to you. The family. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Exodus 20, 12 says, Honour thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord hath given thee. Children are to honour and obey their parents. Honour goes a lot more than just being, you know, saying good morning and good night when you see them. Honour means lifting them up, esteeming them highly. Honour means to cherish, to uphold. And it doesn't come with a caveat, this command. Children, if you're children, this does not say only if they're good parents. God's command does not give you any excuse not to honour your parents, not to obey them. In fact, it says that you are always. We are the ones who put caveats on things. We are the ones who say, oh, oh, oh but what about if they, if they tell me to go and murder someone? We'd love to come up with scenarios like that. But the Bible says we had to honour our parents. We had to obey them. Now, once you've moved out of the house and you're married, you've got your own family, Relax. You don't have to go obeying everything they tell you. But you're still to honour them. This only comes for, for children, but it comes for wives as well. First Peter chapter 3, verse 5 says, For after this manner in the old time, the, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well. Sarah called Abraham her husband Lord. Lord. Now I don't expect my wife to call me Lord. Right? But it shows you the subjection to which the wife put herself under the husband. Now I know already what's flying around in people's minds. I already know that. I already know that the objections that, that you have, but it doesn't give us a caveat. It doesn't give us a way out. The Bible says that women are to 
honour their husbands and are to be in subjection to them, which means God has put the husband as the head of the house. It's his job to actually look after the look after the the well-being of the family. It's his job to be the protector of that home. Men, if your wife isn't honouring you, it could very well be that you've relinquished that responsibility and you aren't being the man of the house. But for the woman, she has no excuse. Even if he's doing a bad job, the Bible says that she is to put herself in subjection to him. Now you might say, oh, but what about if he starts beating up the wife? Yeah, don't hang around, go. Okay? There's, there's no reason to be in, in a relationship that's, that's where you're being beaten up and, and, and you're in, in danger. No. The Bible actually gives you an opportunity to actually leave in that respect. But the Bible says if you're in a marriage, the Bible says the woman is to honour the husband, being subjection to him. But in the same passage, Peter says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Men, the Bible says to dwell with them with knowledge. Don't be stupid. The Bible says to understand where they're coming from. Take the time to understand what they're feeling. Because the Bible says they are the weaker vessel. And when it says weaker, it means the more fragile vase. Guys, we're like terracotta pots, right? But it describes the woman as an ornate china vase, all right? So the way we are to treat them is like that. We are to care for them. We are to make sure they're protected. We are to dwell with them with knowledge. Even though we are the ones who the Bible says are the head of the house, the Bible says we are to treat them with honour. It's not an option. Men, you have no excuse not to honour your wives. You might say, oh, but my wife, you don't know my wife. <laughs> I don't have to know your wife. God knows your wife. But you want to dwell with them with knowledge, which means you've been called to understand them. Okay? There are books. I mean, there are, uh, there are books about that. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. In the church, all right, we're going to try and wrap this thing up now. The Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 13, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. That they must do it with they may, they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The Bible says that in the church, God has put servants among you. Servants, right? That's what we call them ministers. A minister is someone who serves. Okay? That's why they're called ministers in church, because they're servants in the congregation. But these people have been given the responsibility and been given certain gifts that they can actually feed and protect the flock. Do you understand? So what I'm doing this morning to you is hopefully feeding you with God's word, okay? But I've also been called to protect this flock, all right? So the same way a husband treats his wife with honour and respect because she's the weaker vessel, I've been called to do the same for you. I've been called to actually protect you, to cherish you, to make sure that you're, you're guarded and well-fed, okay? That's my job. But the Bible says from your angle, you are to submit yourselves and obey. That's scary. Who knows what Pastor Frank's going to ask me to do today? But the Bible then goes and says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. 
Yea, all of you be subject one to another. There's, there's, a, there's a humility that, that should come with being a Christian. That we don't esteem ourselves higher than other people, but that we're always looking to put ourselves lower, looking to lift up everyone else. If you're, lifting, if you're busy lifting up everyone else, eh, you're going to be always under, aren't you? But the beautiful thing is you see all these people high. That's, what, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the wonderful part of being a, a, a Christian pastor. Okay? In our society, the Bible says that we are to submit ourselves to the every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, which means we are to submit ourselves, according to the Bible, to kings as supreme, to governors, and anyone else the Bible puts on top of us. In society, we are to submit ourselves to the law of the land. That's what the Bible teaches, okay? And it says every law. And look for excuses not to obey the law because you don't like it. The Bible says we have to obey the laws of the land. And I know already some people are saying, what happens if they, they tell me to go and kill? Well, come on, you know the answer to that one, okay? You know the answers to those questions. But where you have the ability to obey, God expects you to obey. And finally, God expects us to be in submission to him. Huh? James tells us, but he gives grace to the humble. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil hates authority. The devil hates us to submit ourselves in our families, in our church, in the world and in society. He hates that. You know why? Because if you can submit yourself in your home, at church and in society, if you can submit yourself, then guess who you're going to submit yourself to? To God. But if you can't submit yourself in your family, in your church and in society, I will guarantee you, you, you're not submitting yourself to God. Because he expects that of you. So if you can't submit yourself, then don't expect that you're submitting yourself to God. And if you're, and if you're not submitting yourself to God, the Bible says, don't expect the devil to flee from you. Because that's the first prerequisite to resisting the devil. If you can't submit to God, then you cannot submit. You cannot have the devil flee from you. He's going to hound you every day. Okay? Now, let me close up with this thought. The devil has his future laid out for him. God knows the end of the devil. The Bible tells us in the end that he'll be, there'll be a war during the tribulation in heaven. He'll be cast down to the earth. He won't be able to get out of the earth. And because he knows his time is short, the Bible says that he is going to cause havoc in this world. The Bible then says he's going to be taken prisoner by God. When he returns, he's going to be thrown into a, a bottomless pit for a thousand years. He's going to be released for a short time, and then he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. That's the end. Did I tell you the Bible, the devil knows his Bible? He knows it. He also knows his time is getting shorter and shorter. He also knows when Christ returns, that's it. Game over for him. So he's doing everything he possibly can to corrupt, to destroy, to infiltrate, to break down Christians' lives. He's going to try and attack you. If you haven't felt it yet, you will feel it. If you're not feeling it at the moment and you don't know you're in a war and you haven't got your armour on, you may be asleep. Your Christianity may be a fake. You may not be real. If you aren't struggling with sin, if you aren't struggling against the devil, if there is no, if you're not going through any type of resistance, 
then the possibility is you're not living the life that God wants you to live. Take up the armour of God. Be vigilant all the time. But remember always that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God bless. Thank you.